Hello, fellow humans. And welcome to the Creatures Podcast. My name is Ash. And my name is Emily. And this is our first episode. Woo! This is really exciting. I'm sure we'll get into more of a rhythm of how to start the episodes and how to get into the cases. We're still figuring that out, so please, please bear with us. I promise it will get better. Hopefully. I promise (laughs) it will get better. (laughs) It will, it will, it will. It will. So, right now we've got some peach oolong tea that Emily made me. It's so good. We wanted to have, like, a drink, um, tea, coffee, blah, 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 whatever, but we thought it'd be fun to just have a little drink with us to talk, makes the cases maybe a little bit easier to get through. Softens the blow. Exactly. On the topic of our cases... Today, we are going to be talking about the tragic case of the Coleman family. And trigger warning for anybody, because this is the death of some children, and that can be pretty traumatic for some people. Yes, this case, like Emily said, it if you aren't ready and don't want to listen to a case where something bad happens to children, I completely understand, and we'll catch you on the next one. We're going to start on May 5th, 2009. Chris Coleman left his home at 5.45 a.m. for his morning workout. He called his wife, Sherry, to make sure that she was awake and up with their sons, 11-year-old Garrett and 9-year-old Gavin. Oh, my God. They they were really young. (sighs) Yeah. They were... Oh, my God. That's, like similar to our age that year yeah yeah a little bit older but still the i believe i'm gonna say their birthdays and go into them a little bit more but i'm pretty sure gavin was born in 2000 which if he were with us today he'd be three years older than emily and i which is just not a good thing to think about it's really not these these kids and sherry they which, kind of spoiler alert of who our unfortunate victims are, but they they really just were gone way too soon. Now, when Chris got no response from Sherry after calling her, he texted her a few more times, still got no response, but just carried on with his workout at the gym. Now, on his way home, he called his neighbor, a Columbia, Illinois officer by the, by the name of Detective Justin Barlow, and he asked him to go check on Sherry and the boys because she still wasn't answering. Imagine being so close to your neighbors that you can just be like, hey, can you check on, like, walk into my house? Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily know if he was, like, going in the house, but I'm not super close with my neighbors, and I, I find that odd. Yeah. (laughs) But to each their own, you know? Yeah. Um, In this case, it was really helpful that Detective Barlow was there and that he knew um, the family. Now, when uh, Chris called uh, Detective Barlow, he told him that he was on the JB Bridge and that he was five minutes away. Detective Barlow called for another officer to meet him at 2854 Robert Drive, which is where the Coleman's lived. They look around the house and they discover that a window around the back had the screen out. So seeing this is a possible intrusion, they call for backup. Backup mm-hmm. enter, or backup arrive, excuse me, and they enter the home. 
and the officers reported being hit with an overwhelming smell of spray paint. Spray paint? Yeah. Spray painted on the walls was the word punished, I am always watching, and you have paid. This sounds like a religious cult thing. A little bit. Or maybe like a vengeance thing. That's the crazy thing. It's not. It's not? I know. Um, now, the U and you have paid, U wasn't spelled out. It was just the letter U, like, in text speech. I mean, I'm too lazy to type out U, so. And, you know, you just killed three people. This perpetrator kind of has to get out. Yeah. Or because just, yeah. this happened at, like, six in the morning. If the smell of like, spray paint. Like, early. Like, the smell of spray paint, if it was still, like, hanging around, it must have been, like, recent. Exactly. Now, Chris arrived at home at 6.56 a.m., which was 13 minutes later. Now, remember, he said he was five minutes away. So this is a little suspicious, but maybe there was traffic. (laughs) That Um, cut the time, that doubled the time. Yeah. Anyway, uh, when he arrived... Officers instructed him to stay outside of the house. They went upstairs where they found the bodies of 31-year-old Sherry Weiss Coleman, 11-year-old Garrett Coleman, and 9-year-old Gavin Coleman. They had ligature marks on their necks indicating that they were strangled with a cord or a rope. Was the cord anywhere? No. Oh, okay. There was no, there was no um, instruments left. It was just, um, this is what they could see. Okay. I want to go and talk about our victims a little bit because I, whenever I research a case, I want to know the victims. I want to be able to talk about who they were as people and I really want to talk about them because I think too often we focus on the people who committed the crimes and not enough on the people who lost their lives. And a lot of the times those killers, if they want attention, they'll ask for attention and that's not, like, they'll kill for attention and that's not what we want to put light of. Exactly. Gotta respect the victims. Exactly. Now, Sherry Weiss Coleman was born to her parents, Donald and Angela Weiss, in Berwyn on July 3rd, 1977. She was raised in Cook County, Illinois, with her brother, Mario. She served in the U.S. Air Force for a time, but after she met Chris, she became a stay-at-home mom. People said she was a loving and devoted mother. She drove her boys to school every day, even though a bus was provided. Oh, I know. And, like, I've had my parents drive me to school in the mornings, and, like, I feel like my day was always better when they drove me in. Yeah. Like, sometimes you would, like, stop by, like, somewhere just to get yeah. something. Just sometimes like my treat. mom would take me to Dunkin', and I'd come into school with, like, a coffee, and I thought I was a bad bitch. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, she she just seemed like she was a great mom. She really loved her boys. Sherry also had faith within the Destiny Church in St. Louis and worked with World Outreach Missions. She often donated to charity. So like she just she really just seems like she was just a great person. Yeah, like and she like, wanted to help and make a difference. Yeah, she really did. And she just seems so sweet. And like I saw pictures of her like through the newspapers and stuff and like she was gorgeous looking at pictures like of victims is just the the most tragic thing it makes it way more real it really does like we can when you can put in a face to their name like 
you really start to understand. Yeah. Like, reading court cases and then looking at a picture is just... It really changes <sighs> things. Yeah. People described her as a private person who rarely shared about her personal issues, but at the same time, people often said that she was upbeat, pleasant, and had a good personality. She was working part-time in a clothing store called The Buckle, which I think is just such a cute name. Like, I, I love that. I'd shop there. I'd shop there. His full name is Garrett Dominic Eugene Coleman. He was born on April 30th, 1998 at Andrews U.S. Air Force Base in Washington. Oh, okay. So he was born on the Air Force Base. Like, yeah, which while she was cool. in service. Yeah, which I think is pretty cool. Which I have heard of, like, kids being born in, like, bases yeah. and stuff, but... Like, I, and I, I know, so he wasn't an officer, right? Because it's it's not, like, it's against the rules for two officers to be in a relationship with each other. Uh, we'll talk about Chris a little bit on, later on. She was in the Air Force and he was in the Marines. Mm, so I okay. think they, I'm pretty sure they're fine. Yeah. Garrett was raised in Columbia, Illinois with his brother. Like his mom, he was a member of the Destiny Church and its youth group. He loved sports and played for the Columbia Blue Jays football team. That's a good name. It is. It's really cute. Uh, like, it's all like cats in Pennsylvania. <laughs> or cats. Panthers. <laughs> Lions. <laughs> Garrett was a fourth grader at Parkview Elementary. Fourth grade. <sighs> Damn. Like, my little brother's moving into first grade. Like, I... Oh. I can't. Uh, I babysat some kids in, like, elementary school. Mm-hmm. They were so little. I they're babies. He's they're a baby. Literal babies. Like he's he's a baby. Like the books that they read, the letters are so big. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Gavin Christopher Coleman was born on January twenty fifth, two thousand in Chester, Illinois. Like his brother, he was also a part of the Destiny Church youth group, and he played on the same football team as his brother. He was a third grader at Parkview Elementary. So again, just a, a, a baby. Literally a child. Yeah. He's just toddling around. No. Now, Chris Coleman was born March 20th, 1977 to Ron and Connie, who were both Christian pastors. He had two brothers who were also raised non-denominationally Christian with conservative values and Bible teachings. Now, I read this in one, in like a couple news reports, and I don't really even know what it means, but it said that the children were often reported to speak in tongues. Okay, okay, so I know what that is. As someone who grew up, okay. like, Christian, I did leave that, obviously. But in a lot of more, not radical, but a lot more, I don't really know how to explain it in a, in a non-negative way. Kind of, like, more extreme. In more extreme, more, like, um, almost, not cultish. Strict. Strict, more strict. Yeah. It's a sense where, like, your body, from what I've heard, I don't believe in it personally, but, like, where your body goes into, like... A whole, like, you're, like, connected to, like, God or, like, even the devil. It's all very, like, spiritual. And you start speaking in the, like, tongues, which is, like, either like gibberish. Latin or, like, gib gibberish. Usually people don't know Latin. And I believe True. that most of it's, like, self the, things. The only Latin I know is, like... Memento mori. Unisonis. No, 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 no. Like, Agnus Dei and, like, Fratinus. Fredo. Like, no, 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 no. Like, okay. Latin from, like, choral music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's the Latin Contate I know. domino. As a child, Chris was described as mild-tempered and sensitive, 
And his father said that the first time he had to butcher a rabbit, Chris couldn't do it because he was too freaked out. Which uh, me, is, me which too. Which is really sad. I could, I couldn't. Oh, I could never kill an animal. Killing bugs freak me out. If, okay, my rule is, like, if an insect is in my house, like, in my space, too far, bud. But if you're in your territory, like, I'm not gonna worry. Yeah, like, you do you, bro. Exactly. When in high school, an army recruiter visited, and Chris was so enamored and inspired that he signed up for the Marine Corps. He bought into the the, the pitch. Yeah, I know. Well, free college, bro. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> there, during his time in the military, he met Sherry. The two started dating, and in August of 1997, they visited Chris's parents in Chester, Illinois. His parents immediately did not like Sherry. Isn't she religious as well? Did she grow up? She is, yeah. But she was a little... um, Free-spirited? Yeah, she was was just a cool person. She was free-spirited. She had full... Like, she completely like was in her faith and devoted to it but um if if you come from a just... church that speaks in tongues there's gonna be a lot of yeah like they'll so... look differently at like a a chill church that just wears jeans to church yes so ron who is chris's dad said quote she was a worldly little girl little short shorts tattoo on her leg not the person we thought he'd be with <laughs> so there's we can like, see how he they felt about her um calling someone worldly is that's an insult it's, it's never positive it's not positive and the she short short she's the tattoo. 20 she's not a little girl yeah. she's 20 she may be young she's not don't call her a little girl and don't call her worldly either like yeah. shut up oh my goodness it's fine if they didn't like her but their their reasons are kind of bullshit yeah. Besides I mean, the point. they're literally judging her because of their, like, religious values. Yeah. I don't want to bash anybody religious. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's the difficult thing. This isn't necessarily a bash on religious people. It's just the way they are using their religion mm. to hate on her. Yeah, I don't really like. They're using it as an excuse. They're like, right. we don't hate it. It's just that God hates it. Right. God doesn't give a crap. <laughs> now, Chris and Sherry eloped in private. Soon after, even though his parents really didn't like her. That's really cute. Oh, no. A few months later, it was revealed that Sherry was pregnant with their first son. So I think this was part of why they got married. Yeah. But if they... marital sex is a (laughs) no-no. Yes. Um, According to Chris's parents, he immediately regretted the marriage. But that's according to them. And I don't know how trustworthy they They're are unreliable narrators they are look at you with your english words <laughs> chris after his time in the military worked at joyce meyer ministries which was located across the river in st louis missouri he was the personal bodyguard of joyce meyer who was a tell i don't really know how to say this televangelist Oh, yeah, it's a televangelist. It's like... Um, She traveled often to speak. I believe she was just kind of, like, preaching about her views and beliefs, right? Most televangelists are... I don't want to... I really... I just have negative views on most churches. Um, They're very scammy. Oh, Like, it's all about, like, the money for Mm. a lot of them. Okay. Like, some cults have started because of televangelists. Okay. I didn't see anything about Joyce Meyer being bad. And, like, she seems like a very stand-up person, especially in this case. She Mm -hmm. ends up testifying later, so, like, 
she seems like a chill person. Yeah. Um, but he was her bodyguard and he would often travel with her when she was speaking places, which meant that Sherry was often a stay, she was a stay-at-home mom, but she was often the only one home with the boys. hmm I mean, yeah. It seemed like, uh, Chris went out to work out for a long time and take 15 minutes to get back from a five-minute drive. Yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Chris and Sherry did not have a perfect marriage, They fought frequently over a variety of topics, which fights are going to happen in a marriage. There's going to be conflicts, but it's how you are able to communicate and work past it that, you know, shows. It's all about communication. Exactly. For all relationships, friendships, like... Exactly. You know, parent-child relationships. Like, communication's just important. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Key to every relationship. Mm -hmm. Cat relationships... (laughs) <laughs> dog relationships hamster relationships hamsters. <laughs> now uh the couple mostly fought over chris's job this was a big um contention because he traveled a lot he was away more than he was at home what was his job um he was a personal bodyguard for joyce so oh, he traveled oh, with for her. the televangelist mm-hmm. that was his boss oh okay yeah um Obviously, like, him being at home, I, that's hard. That's rough. Your significant other is away. The father of your kids is away. Like, your partner. And as, um, as, like, unreliable the parents are, maybe he did regret and didn't want to spend too much time around. Yeah, I would, I'm not sure. that was his escape. It's possible. He did seem like he loved his kids. Yeah. But there's a difference between loving your kids and wanting to be there for them. Right. Like, taking that step to spend time Mm -hmm. and bond with them. Yeah. Now, the boys just absolutely adored their dad. Um, They kept countdowns on the fridge, anticipating each time that he would come home. Oh, my God. I know. I'm pretty... It seems like he would... Like, he would come home as soon as he could. Yeah. I'm, he was I'm just like making. I'm making these, like, blind assumptions. <laughs> I'm being very judgmental of this man. It's okay. They often also fought over money. Chris did make a good salary. He made 100000 a year. And this was in 2009. So that's... That's like... Is that before or after that's the... That's right after the... Recession. The, the recession was in 2008. Jeez. So this is right after. So he's he's making like, pretty good money. And they they were living in a house, correct? Mm-hmm. So like... However, mm-hmm. Sherry did spend money quickly. She enjoyed shopping, she liked to go on mission trips, and she donated to charity. Mm. Charity and mission trips? Expensive. They are expensive. And I, well, you know, it's great that she wanted to do that, but, and this goes for anybody, you are never expected to donate more than you have the ability to it's like that story in the bible where like these rich dudes like did a fraction of their wealth and this woman gave all that she had and jesus valued her donation more than like the rich dudes wait never mind that doesn't make sense that's the opposite that's the opposite of what you're saying oh my god no whatever don't listen to the bible in this house don't listen to the bible (laughs) i'm kidding i mean i don't you can listen to the bible if you want (laughs) yeah chris was bothered by her spending habits and this caused them to often fight over that Um, the third main topic of their fights was a lack of affection. Chris wasn't very physically affectionate, and people reported him rarely giving Sherry and the kids hugs and kisses, which... 
Toxic Physical touch is not everybody's love language. And I completely... Yeah. I'm not going to say, like, you don't hug your kids all the time. You're a bad person. That's that's not what I'm saying. But it could also be, like, toxic masculinity being scared to... Oh, yeah. Reach out and be, like, intimate first being seen as, you know... Yeah, there's there's then. there's a lot of factors that could go into this. But this was this was a big contention for them. I don't like it. Yeah. Sherry had once confided in a friend that Chris wasn't even affectionate during sex. It was just, which like... Which I think where that... Like, that's really where the like problems start to come Like, stone-faced, like... There's not a lot of details on it. Yeah, Sherry was a private fair. person, so yeah. what we do know of the marriage was when she would, would confide. finally confide in a yeah. friend, I believe. It, people should talk more about their sex lives. Yeah, Just I to agree. see, like, you know, because things could be happening that's, like, not okay. Some people, I mean, merit, like, spousal rape is a real thing. Yeah. And some people don't even know that. And so, like, like, if one spouse is, like... Let's do it. And they're like, and the other one's like, I'm not interested. And they're like, well, I married you, so there. Yeah, that's like, never that's, how that works. It's never how it works. You still need consent even if you're together and married or dating. Exactly. Or in a partnership. Any of the above. You always need consent. Like that ring and shared taxes does not, like, remove consent with that. Exactly. Sherry and Chris also disagreed about family and discipline Chris wanted to be more of a strict disciplinarian, while Sherry was a bit more, um, like, free, not, like... Gentle listening to the kids, stuff like that. A little bit more gentle. She was, she was a little bit more free-spirited, a little bit more lenient. I feel like with all this thing, it's just he was, like, a super strict, Mm -hmm. like... Not corporal punishment. I would never say that. I would never accuse someone of that. No, but he he was he was a military man. Yeah. And with his upbringing, his his upbringing seemed to be very strict. Very strict. So very structured. Ge- yeah, and generational like you are most likely going to raise your kids in a similar fashion to how you were raised, unless you like, grew up Trump and realized to, yeah. like, oh wow, that was really traumatic. Let me do the opposite of that. Exactly. But which is what I will do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now Chris had high expectations in everything for his kids, including manners, sports, school. Which you want your kids to do great, you want the best for them. I understand that, but the standards is what really gets me. Yeah. Being a kid, like being a kid is tough. You They're know nine and eight, right? Eleven and nine. Eleven and nine, yeah. sorry. I just, that's what's getting me. Like, him having all these standards, Mm -hmm. I just don't like it. Yeah. I'm judging people's parenting, but. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a parent, and I don't plan to be a parent, but I'm going to judge your parenting. Yeah, because (laughs) you chose to be a parent. Parent right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. First one, they didn't mean it. You don't always choose to be a parent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you don't always choose to be a parent. Never mind. Okay, continue. (laughs) Now. Sherry, despite the condition of the marriage, quote, just loved him too much to give up on the marriage, which is just, like... It's kind of heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking because, like, she wasn't happy, but she really loved him and she wanted to just work things out. And I totally understand that. She's clinging to what is essentially a, not a loveless relationship. Right. But, like, they had been together for... I believe, like, 12 years? That's... That's a long time to spend with somebody. Honestly, that's the same thing with, like, my family. Like, I don't want to say who, but, like, <laughs> two people in my life stayed together 
for a long time and they became a comfort blanket for each other even though they weren't right for each other and that's not a healthy thing to do you have to learn how to like let go and be by yourself for a second and Mm -hmm. figure out what you want and what your ideals are yeah now in november of 2008 the marriage had gotten even worse chris confided in a friend that he wanted a divorce but wanted to wait until after the holidays to bring it up which that's i I, I respect that valid respect yeah However, divorce for Chris could mean losing his job at JM Ministries because this was a religious organization and you, it's difficult to have employees who will be doing something that goes against what your whole thing stands for. As someone with divorced parents who grew up in the church, they will ostracize you depending on the church you go to. Right. Like, especially a second divorce. They will look at you weird when you walk in the church if they hear about it. Yeah. It goes around like wildfire. Yeah. Meanwhile, at this time, Sherry suspected Chris of an affair. Not just an affair, though. An affair with her high school best friend that she introduced to Chris. (sighs) Seems shitty. Seems shitty. Now, despite the suspected cheating... Again, Sherry loved him. This was her husband and partner of 12 years. She had, this was the father of her kids. The person she chose. Yeah, she was determined to make this work. She really wanted it to. Have they tried, like, therapy thus far, or have they not? Um, I'm not sure. I didn't see anything if they had tried couples therapy. It may not have, like, shown it, but very, very likely, if they did, it was probably a pastor from a church that they went to. Possibly. Like, gotta talk to Pastor John. Like, he'll help. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, that That happens a lot. Yeah. The truth I've been to. Yes. Yeah. It, it varies extremely. Mm-hmm. Now, Sherry reportedly told a friend, quote, if something happens to me, Chris did it. Okay. Like, what was going on? That I mean, we're going to find and, out a little bit of what was going on. And that makes me think a little bit back to the, um, like, the spray paint. And with all the religious stuff that's happening, punishment... Now, just wait. Divine Because it's about to get even crazier. Um. (laughs) Chris started receiving threats through JM Ministries. I was going to, like, his work, but the letters would be, like, give this to Chris. Like, Chris needs to get this. Um... Maybe they heard about, like, him wanting a divorce and were like, mm-hmm. you better not, well, like... not only that, due to the nature of their work, it was reportedly common for Joyce Myers to receive threats and harassment via letters and email. So, they kind of just all started to chalk this up to that's probably what it would be, but yeah. it was odd that he's only her personal bodyguard. Why is the bodyguard getting these, like, harassment letters? Yeah, when you put yourself out there like a televangelist. Yeah, because these these letters were directed at Chris and his family. And his family or Mm -hmm. just... And the family. Okay. Um, The threats said that Joyce was, quote, preaching bullshit. And they also threatened the Coleman saying, quote, I will kill them all while they sleep. Which... That's pretty on the nose. The fact that that is what happened is just horrific. These were all sent to Chris at work and some at home. Each, I hope none of the kids saw them. I I have no idea. I didn't see any reports about what the kids knew, if they knew anything. This is... Each threat just started to get worse and worse than the last. 
Chris still had to travel, so officers um, completely knew about the situation, and his neighbor, Detective Barlow, said that he would keep an eye on the house and the family for him. So that's partially why he called in the beginning to have Detective Barlow come over and check on them. Um, Barlow even had a porch camera facing the Coleman's. Oh, like the neighbor's house. Yeah, they were neighbors like, with a detective. That is lucky. And they they were like hardcore neighbors. Like yeah. they were the people you want to be your neighbors. It seems like, I mean, from what we've talked, it seems like they're very big parts of the community. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense why you would know your neighbors. It, yeah, definitely. Now, once Barlow had put the camera facing the Coleman's porch. There were no no more letters started coming. The last letter before the camera was set up arrived in April of 2009 that said in all caps, quote, this is my last warning. Your worst nightmare is about to happen. So what were they asking for them to stop? Like it was, it just-, was just like Joyce. Like it. The letters were seemingly like they were mad at what Joyce was saying, but the letters, the violence was directed at Chris and his family, which is which really odd. doesn't make sense. It's, again, he's just the bodyguard, you yeah. know? He's just the meat. He, not the meat. He's just the... <laughs> he's just he's the muscle. The meat, <laughs> the meat shield. No, he's not a meat shield. He's just well, the muscle. Like, he's just, like, trying to keep back, like, over-enthusiastic uh, worshippers or... Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, what's it called? People who don't believe in higher powers... Agnostic? Agnostic. No, not a, they believe Atheists? in a higher... Atheists. Like, angry atheists who yeah. are, like, attacking or, like... Mm-hmm. You know, he's just the meat muscle. Not the meat. I gotta stop <laughs> saying the meat. The answer is always meat. <laughs> Shout out to you, One Piece fans. I don't even watch the show. I just like that sticker. Hardcore fan. <laughs> now, this brings us back to the morning of May 5th, 2009. Officers had just discovered the three bodies... Yes, back 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 to some rough rough territory. Yeah. Um, the police chaplain, I believe it's called, told mm-hmm. Chris that his family was dead, and he dropped to his knees and sobbed. Oh, um, I was just, I was just like wailing on this dude, and just hearing like, I know yeah. like men are allowed to cry, like you know the boys don't cry is bullshit, but like just hearing about like someone just it's, sobbing, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. The chaplain sat in the ambulance um, while consoling Chris, and he saw some red marks on his knuckles. And when he asked Chris about the marks, he just started punching the gurney that he was sitting on just to, like, explain it away. So, like, he was like, why are your knuckles weird, dude? Yeah, and he just started punching. Um, Chris's father and his boss, Joyce Meyer, soon arrived and they started, kind of took over the comfort and consoling so that the police could, you know, go and do their job. Now, a funeral for all three was held at Evergreen Cemetery on May 9th, 2009. Sherry's family had them brought to a funeral home for a visitation service that Chris did not attend. Like, the bodies? Like, an open casket situation? Mm -hmm. Okay. Chris wasn't there. That's either... There's two options. Right. Either Which, like, people react differently. Yeah. I'm never going to blame someone for the way they react. Like, yeah. if you couldn't handle seeing them, I, like, I completely yeah. understand that. But 
It's it either is, is a little weird. It, there's like two options it could go. Like what you said, overwhelmed, just you can't handle the grief. You can't handle to see that. And them in that state, you want to remember them alive. Right. Or something's going on. Right. Now we're going to get into the investigation. Chris was brought to Columbia PD for an initial interview where, according to Chris, the night before, he played with the boys and watched TV. He and Sherry then put the boys to bed and then he and Sherry cuddled until she fell asleep in his arms. Which, if he wasn't very physically affectionate, I'm not saying this didn't happen. Wait, who was he cuddling in his arms? His wife. Okay, 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 okay. Which, like, I'm not saying this didn't happen. Seems a little out of personality, out of character, yeah, we'll say. Because this was, like, the, the, the anti-affection was mentioned by her. Mm-hmm. And how he wasn't really happy with the relationship. Yeah. In a sense. Like, he didn't say it outright, I don't think. But. Right. Um, he then said that he woke up early around, I think he said 5.30 for the gym he said Sherry was still asleep in bed, and he left at 5.45. So he started to get really anxious due to those threats that we talked about, and, like, we know about them. So he asked Detective Barlow to check on the house. Authorities said that it was odd Chris never mentioned his own security system to say, like, I have cameras at my house. Like, come look at these, come look at the footage. The guy, whoever did this, might be on the camera. Like, he the came camera, in the back window. And the camera that Barlow put up, right? Yeah. So they, the police had to ask Chris for the tapes. And on the tapes, the only person to enter or leave the house that night was Chris. And it was when he left that morning. Is there a, um, I remember that, like, screen that was taken out of the window at the very beginning of the case. Mm-hmm. Is there a camera directed at that point? Uh, I'm not sure. It doesn't say. Okay. But it seems like the way the reports made it sound was that if that going to go to that window, this person would have been caught on the cameras. Yeah. Chris denied any marital problems when asked, and but he did admit to being close friends with Tara Lintz, but he denied any sexual relationship or affair. Which is in, like, direct... Tara oh. Lintz is Sherry's best friend from high school. Yeah. And also This him... is the woman that she introduced to Chris. And he also mentioned to someone, I can't remember who, that he was considering divorce. Right, he mentioned to a friend. It didn't say the friend's name. Yeah, they probably didn't want to, you know, be mentioned in this murder case. Mm-hmm. So Tara Lintz was who Sherry suspected that Chris was having an affair with. And she had just introduced the two in what I believe was November of 2007. So, like, a year and some change before the events. Um, Tara lived in St. Petersburg, Florida, where she was immediately brought in for interrogation. And she told police that her and Chris were indeed having an affair. And not only that, they had exchanged promise rings and planned to get married in January of 2010. Uh-oh, Chris. Yeah, uh-oh. Uh, Chris also failed to tell authorities that he had canceled the family trip to Disney and replaced it with a honeymoon cruise to the Virgin Islands with Tara. So he's already canceling trips with his kids. Lies are piling up, dude. According to Tara, Chris was going to serve Sherry the divorce papers on the day of the murders or the... The night before. She said it was either going to be May 4th or May 5th. So, 
I'm gonna do a little bit of premature theorizing. <laughs> he did it. Didn't go well. <sighs> this is sad. I'm. I'm not. I don't yeah. like Chris. I'm glad that I trashed on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fuck Chris. Fuck Chris. Uh, so Tara began planning their wedding registry. And she also began looking for a home in St. Louis and discussing baby names. Yep. So. No, I'm not sure if she was pregnant. It just said that yeah. she was discussing names. Yeah, yeah, because, like, when you're, like, Sometimes I mean, you just discuss baby names. Yeah, like, you want to be, like, well, so we don't, like. When this happens, what yeah. do you think about, yeah. So I we're not, that. like, in a screaming fight about. <laughs> right, but um, this was an affair. So. Yeah. And he already had two kids. And. With another woman. Who, who he was wasn't affectionate, best friend. With, affectionate with. Yeah. Damn. As good the, for this good on this girl for like telling the truth. Yeah. But like screw her for having an affair with her best friend's husband. Yeah. And discussing baby names yeah. with that best friend's husband who already and has planning kids. your met your wedding date when he's not divorced yet. Exchanging promise rings, like be different if they were separated but they weren't they were still living together and according to like as far as sherry knew they were still completely married and like together don't cheat kids yes don't cheat or murder as the investigation continued family and neighbors were horrified after learning that chris tore down a memorial in his front yard for his murdered wife and children he tore it down he tore down a memorial in his own front yard for them. Which I, again, it's like, I do kind of get it where in a scenario where he didn't, wasn't the one that murdered them, mm-hmm. seeing, having, walking out and seeing that it might be really rough. And I completely get that. Don't tear it down, though. That's weird. <laughs> that's a little suspicious. That's l- Yeah. That hurts. Like, people probably put so much time mm-hmm. into that. But this was mixed with Chris also moving out all of their belongings in boxes only two weeks after their murders. Like, that's not a lot of time. Like, you're gonna get rid of your kids, like, toys and clothes? What a mourning period. Oh my goodness. That's ridiculous. He's just really not helping himself. He's not. It's like, like, back, like, way, way, like, maybe, like, Victorian age. I don't freaking know. But, like, mourning times like they would like wouldn't stop like they would wear black for like like, months maybe even like a year and this was his wife and kids i just yeah he needs a grace period like this is not this is a little fast i don't like him yeah me neither dna testing of under sherry's nails found traces of dna that was close to chris's but not a definitive match so it could have been like a son or like a brother yeah, which or like a to cousin. Me, which to me says is a relative involved. His dad didn't like her. Is, did his dad get involved somehow? Did his brother get involved? I'm not accusing them. This is just questions. Or also, maybe she was like, your children. Like, you, like, whole right. children. Which again, like, this like, is just, scratching, but this maybe, is like, just under scratch. her nail so i mean that's again it's her husband like that could be yeah from anything it, it, yeah it's circumstantial exactly um other items such as paint chips off of the wall laptops hers and her cell phone were also sent to be analyzed 
Um, I didn't really find anything about, like, anything that came back about them. I just saw that it was sent. Yeah. Just, like, um, standard procedure. Pretty much. So probably nothing came of it. Right. Uh, back to those email threats, though. Because this gets a little, uh, really incriminating. So, like, the mail threats were email threats. Yes. I was thinking of them as, like, mail threats. They were both. They were letters and emails. Because uh, cause I was, like, whenever I hear, like, cases, I'm like, oh, these happened in the 90s. But no, this happened after we were born. Yeah, this happened in 2009. Yeah. So I was, like, six. Yeah, same here. Police knew about the letters before, and he brought them up again. Um, Detective Barlow already also knew, especially being a neighbor. The cybercrimes unit investigated into the emails that were sent from destroychris at gmail.com. He made um, an email for it? Dang. They They traced the IP address back to the laptop belonging to Chris Coleman. <laughs> um, oh, I hate... I the mean, letters also contained several spelling mistakes that were, like, common and matched, like, in Chris's own, like, text and writing of his own were also common, like, spelling errors that he would make. You know, people didn't, like, people are stupid now, but, like, people didn't understand the internet even more. Yeah. They didn't understand how traceable it was. Right. Especially, he probably was thinking, like, oh, I'm fine. This is out in, this is out in the wherever. They can't trace this back to me. But we can, Chris. And we will. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the spray paint and writings were also examined and analyzed by a forensic handwriting specialist who said that the spray paint handwriting was consistent with Chris Coleman's. Uh, the spray paint itself was a specific brand with the name Candy Apple Red. And Chris's bank statements, it matched with a small hardware store's records confirming that he had bought a can of Candy Apple Red spray paint a few months prior to the murders. So either it's premeditated or he was like... This was premeditated like seven months before. Like or, I, have a, I have a feeling he started planning in November when he started the affair with Tara. Uh, I don't like this. Yeah. <sighs> wait, um, so wait, did he pay with card? Because uh, then I that's no how idea. it would have been like Chris bought this. Well, it was on his bank statement, so I'm assuming. Paying cash, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad he didn't because, you know. Right. This evidence is stacking up against him. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the autopsies. Uh, the autopsies concluded that all three's cause of death was strangulation. Uh, Sherry was strangled likely from behind with the ligature. She was found face down in her bed, nude, which Chris said that she often slept naked. And, like, I that's a common thing. I do yeah. it. Like, so I'm not going to say that, it, like, oh, it's weird that she was found, like, she was naked yeah, when she was like She was in her house, like, I, I'm not, she was not sexually assaulted. Yeah, so, it like. It wasn't, like, a sexually, like, sadistic crime. Exactly. So this was just, like, how she was. She was in the comfort of her um, own home. Still completely unfortunate and just, like. To, that is how you're left. Like, that's... I Like, your last moments is just... It is awful. Um, she was on top of the comforter, which suggested that she was not killed there, but placed there. Because it was... I believe it was, like, believed that they were asleep when this happened. This is upsetting. Um, her hair was covering her face, which... Could have been, like, a guilt thing. 
I believe it was because I'm going to go into how the boys were found, which um, trigger oh. warning, we are going to be talking about the autopsies of the little boys. Um, Garrett, the 11 year old, was mostly covered with the comforter. Um, like I said, he had been strangled with a ligature. He was facing away from the door, and there was some spray paint on his bed and exposed and exposed skin. Gavin, the nine-year-old, was also found face down, facing away from the door. So, like these consistencies, it's showing, re- it's showing guilt. Not remorse, but like I'm not sure guilt. remorse, but it, it's showing guilt. Like he's he, covering their faces. He doesn't want to see them. Could be a personal thing. And strangulation, not always. But tends to be very personal. Yeah, because it's not like getting always close. Exactly. Was were there any writings in the boys' rooms? Yes, I will get to that. Oh. Uh, now this is like a Uber trigger warning. The ME concluded that the fracture in Gavin's larynx was because way more force than needed was used to strangle him. Um, because he was nine. He's a child. He has a child's body, neck and body. Whoever did this was kind of expecting to be strangling someone older, like Garrett or Sherry, and thought that more force was needed. Oh, sorry. That's really rough. Um, that's kind of like the worst part of actually saying it, but it's still really rough to think about. Yeah. Um, Like, you never really want to think about the force... That it would take to hurt somebody. Like, we always talk about, like, I don't know, everybody. But, like, in, like, school, people joke about, like, oh, yeah. Like, it only takes the force of, like, biting through a carrot to bite through your finger. But, like, that's horrific. That's horrific. That's horrific. (laughs) But, like... How do you just think about doing that? Yeah. Like, our body just won't let us do that. So, Mm -hmm. we, like, just the amount of force that it would take to harm a person is just not really thought of. I like how you said that. Your body won't let you do it because it's not right the body's like pain 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 your body should not allow you to strangle somebody else that i just like obviously that's not how that works yeah i wish like we had like a safety feature that was like yeah i know and like locks up our joints (laughs) the words fuck you were spray painted on both of the boys's beds which what the fuck that is disgusting just that's disgusting (sighs) Um, the medical examiner estimated that their time of death was between 3 and 5 a.m. And that each death itself took 7 to 10 minutes. I, I, I don't, I don't want to think about what was going through their heads. I hope nothing. So, like. I don't want, I, I can't. So, like, it was a gap between the, 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 the murders? Strangulation. Takes a long time. Takes, like, over four or five minutes, I think. That's a long time. The Emmy said that Sherry's state of rigor mortis was crucial to determining the time of death. However, all of their obituaries say 7.55 a.m. So I'm, I'm thinking that was just like the official Just like around time of like death. a median, median. Well, no, 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 no. This was, they, they think the time of death is between 3 and 5 a.m. In the morning. The obituary say 7.55, which I think is, like, their legal declaration time of death. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, so, like, when the bodies were found, they were, like, this is a... Like, when the um, coroner came in and all that. Yeah. Because, like, there are people who are, like, this person is dead. And they're, like... Are they? 
<laughs> like like how like there used to be like bells. Right. In graves. In case like you know you just my bad I fucked up. <laughs> yeah, because it happened. Oh, my bad, you're not actually dead. <laughs> Before like technology, it happened. And, yeah, like, which is like, that's crazy. Worst nightmare. Yeah. So we're gonna be getting into the arrest and the trial now. Um, on May nineteenth, two thousand nine, just two weeks after the murders. Chris Coleman was arrested while in his parents' house in Chester. He was charged with three counts of first-degree murder. Um, and Sherry's family also filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Chris, which means that he can't liquida- liquidate any assets like cars or the family mm-hmm. house. Like, he cannot get any kind of money. See the movie Knives Out for that. Yeah. yeah. That's a good movie. Oh, such a good movie. It's such a weird movie, but so good. Yeah, well, it's Agatha Christie. Yeah. I love Agatha Christie. Like, this wouldn't happen in real life because there's other, like, law procedures, but real good movie. Yeah. Doesn't need to be accurate. It's entertaining. Don't matter. While Chris awaited trial, some friends came forward and said that Chris told Sherry he wanted a divorce, but she didn't want it. Which, I mean, like, that's entirely possible. She was committed to keeping the marriage alive. Um... (sighs) But, like, she didn't know the kind of person that she married and what he's capable of, apparently. Yeah, which is just... Terrifying. It's so scary that she, like, didn't... Like, the man she married did this. Like, I... The man she was hell-bent on staying with and making it work. Right, and that's just the worst part, is that, like, she really wanted to try and he just wanted nothing to do with it he was so not willing to make it work that he did this exactly in such a disgusting disrespectful way mm-hmm. uh, and he had the audacity to feel, to feel like shame and guilt for it uh-huh now <gasps> a friend of sherry's named megan turnbow said quote she told me he was tired of her keeping him from god's destiny for his life <laughs> yeah Ugh. So I don't really know what he means by that. Chris's trial began on April 25th, 2011. Now, it took two years for his trial to start. This was mostly due to the fact that the, uh, due to delays from trying to move the case out of his, of the town it happened in, and somewhere where the jurors would be impartial, because he is allowed and fully within his right to have a fair and impartial trial. Um, sadly, so, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so they were moved because uh, I heard someone, I believe, uh, the Morbid podcast, which shout out to them. If I ever hear they listen to this, I think I'll cry. I was going to say the same thing. I am in love with Ash and Elena. I love you both. If you ever listen to this, um, I love you. Fangirl <laughs> break over. Anyway, um, <laughs> I forget which one of them said it, but they said it so perfectly. If you're guilty in this town, you're going to be guilty 30 miles away. Yeah. So, I, I think that's, I, they put it very well. Um, jurors were selected from Perry County. Uh, Tara, Tara, or Tara, I'm not sure how you say it, but uh, Tara Lintz was the star witness. She testified exactly what she told officers in Florida. The two exchanged promise rings about their wedding plans, the honeymoon plans, and also that her and Chris had exchanged sexually, sexually explicit pictures. So, nudes and... I believe phone sex. So. Yeah. So this is like the best the best friend according to. Yeah. Which I mean like if this was a not an affair and you didn't murder your wife and kids for this relationship, send all the nudes you want 
two consenting people. <laughs> but send all the news you want. Yeah. Just make sure you're being a good person about it. Yeah, cheat- cheaters are bad. No yeah. cheaters. And murderers. This is They're really bad. Yeah, they're really, <laughs> really bad. Uh, the prosecution brought in world-famous pathologist Dr. Michael Baden, who testified that the time of death was around 3 a.m., meaning that Chris was most certainly home. The cameras hadn't caught him leaving. He was definitely home at the time of their deaths. Mm-hmm. Um, the prosecution's theory was that Chris Chris regretted his young, quick, and impulsive marriage to Sherry, and he wanted to just start a new life with Tara. He started planning soon after his affair began, where he sent himself the threats to throw blame. Um, And he also couldn't divorce Sherry without losing his job. Joyce Meyer even testified that if Chris and Sherry had gotten divorced, or if she knew about the affair, he most likely would have been fired. This is, this man's logic really doesn't make sense. Is like paper thin. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just. It really is. I'm just imagining him like sending those threats on the same computer. Like his own personal laptop. Yeah. I'm like imagining him like sending like, stop doing this. Stop Joyce evil mean. And then like going back to his own email and like. Confirming a doctor's appointment. Like (laughs) what? (laughs) So, the prosecution's belief was that these horrific actions were planned for months. They said that early morning, in the early morning hours of May 5th, Chris strangled his wife and two boys, sprayed the messages, and then busted the back window to stage a break-in, where he then left for the gym and called Sherry as part of his alibi. Uh, Call back to when Chris was driving home, What should have been a five-minute drive ended up being a 13-minute drive. Uh, The prosecution brought this up. They believed that this was done intentionally so that he wouldn't be there when the bodies were discovered. Call back again to the marks that Detective Barlow asked about his knuckle, or the, not Detective Barlow, excuse me, the chaplain asked about on his knuckles. Oh, yeah, and then him And he just started punching in a way to explain it. That was was weird when you said it. That was weird when it first happened. Like, that's like gym rats like on like steroids yeah like unless he practices like boxing in the gym which does not sound like he does yeah it's like yeah not really good for the look no not at all chris's defense said that someone else perhaps a serial killer was responsible were there any active serial killers not that i could find Mm. they also said that chris's laptop had been hacked to send the threats which, I mean, like, is totally possible, but the cyber crimes unit didn't find anything and to like, prove that. The linguist, uh, it, the linguist this, Yeah, expert? the linguistic and the handwriting specialist, like, they both said, like, yeah, this is probably <laughs> Yeah, they were like, uh, he's bad at spelling, and this is why. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, this might offend some people, but, like, how old was he? Like, imagine being, like, 30-something and you can't spell. Um, you know, <laughs> about that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you texted <Emily>. me. It's <laughs> bad. <laughs> Sorry, it's the English major in me. On May 5th, 2011, which is exactly two years after the anniversary of their death, after 15 hours of deliberation, Chris was convicted of three counts of first-degree murder. He did not receive the death penalty, but he was sentenced to three life sentences without the possibility of parole. You know, I don't believe in, like, death sentence. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reason he didn't get the death sentence, I actually looked into this, was because in the state of Illinois, it was being abolished on July 1st of 2011. So, like, the same year. Okay, so, like, by the, the time judge... he was gonna be, mm-hmm. it would have been illegal. So, well, no, the judge said that he was fully within his right, if he wanted to, to give Chris the death penalty, but... The judge himself saying, like, this is about to be abolished. I don't feel right giving it out when it's about to be abolished. And he probably advocated for that law being abolished. Probably, too. I'm very iffy on the death penalty because there's some people who are just, like, the most disgusting creatures to ever walk the earth. And I'm like, yeah, they should not even be allowed to, like, be here. Like, they are so terrible. It'd be dangerous enough to let them just suffer in jail. Mm -hmm. But that's a very privileged look because the death penalty has a history of just racism and just being wrong and just putting innocent people to death the who entire, did not like, deserve it. prison system has a history of oh my racism God. and... Everything has a history of racism <laughs> and it's awful. Mm-hmm. Chris was sent to Pontiac Correctional Center in Illinois and in June 2011, a judge denied his request for a retrial. So, fuck you, Chris. Yeah, fuck you. Try and get, trying to get out of your murder. Yeah. Is there any mention of what, like, the affair E has done? Uh, she wasn't a, she wasn't a part of this. Like, okay. she was not tried. They, they didn't look into her. It seems like she didn't know anything about the murder. She just wanted to marry Did him. Did this all happen in Florida? No, this happened in Illinois. She lived okay, in Florida. She, okay, yeah, so that's how she, that's how she, she was, yeah, she, there was no way she was a part of this because she was in Florida. And he was then transferred to Dodge Correctional Institution in Wapun, Wisconsin in August of 2011 for safety reasons. So, he killed his wife and kids, like, child murderers, especially in jail, get absolutely fucked up. Child crimes so are very... I hope he got his ass beat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hope he got his ass beat. Just deserves. Yes. Desserts? <laughs> Just desserts. Now, we're gonna talk about a little bit of, like, the after of the trial and stuff. Uh, Ron and Connie, who were Chris's parents, maintain their son's innocence, They never believed for a second that he did it. Our darling boy could never. And when asked about Chris's affair, they blamed Sherry. They said that she wasn't fulfilling her wifely duties and she probably was just too moody and not affectionate. They're victim blaming a murder victim? Yep. I hate his parents. Oh, you don't like them at all. Yeah. So, you know, they were super... Christian and had all of their beliefs when it came to her tattoos and wearing short shorts, but their son had an affair. And they're saying nothing. And I feel like that's really big no-no. They're really like and he on those murdered blinders. three people. That's also big no-no. Chris has tried to appeal several times, but all have failed. So thank you for that, judges. Snaps. Um. Finally, the justice system does something right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something. Uh, In December of 2012, Sherry, Garrett, and Gavin's graves were moved to Sherry's hometown outside Chicago. Yeah, Chris doesn't deserve to be near them. Well, especially, and we're gonna, I'm gonna talk about a little bit. So, Chris's parents tried to fight this from a legal standpoint, saying that they had equal right to be near their grandkids, which I'm, like, that is their grandkids. I do completely get that. However, a judge sided with Sherry's family because 
once Chris died, if they were still in those same grave plots, he would have been buried right next to them. And the judge said that no convicted murderer deserves that kind of power over his victims. Exactly. He, that was premeditated. That was shown as premeditated mm-hmm. in his, like, Exactly. So thank you, thank you to that judge for, like, really respecting, respecting the, the victims and the family. Like, uh, he doesn't deserve... <sighs> no. I don't think we mentioned any of her family at all. But a I little hope, bit. They, I hope they lived. Um, they probably don't really want to like. It was really hard to find information about them because Sherry was a private person, and it seems like the family has tried to um, keep like, that going. Mourned in their on their own. Like there's some families who um, sometimes do a lot of like charity work or like um, awareness after. Um, a loved one dies, and obviously not everybody is required to do that by any means. Um, personally, uh, I believe the Weisses, I believe their last name is, um, I believe they've been kind of quiet about the whole thing. They haven't done a lot of interviews and stuff like that. I understand that. It's, yeah, completely. It's so it's tragic. really hard to lose. Like, not only are you losing your daughter, but you're losing your two grandkids, mm-hmm. too. And I'm hoping that where they were moved was closer to that family it was they um it was sherry's parents who had them moved and they were moved so sherry lived like right outside chicago illinois and chris's parents lived in chester illinois and the graves were initially near chester and they wanted it moved yeah and i hope that those Mm -hmm. family members were able to mourn Mm-hmm. In peace. Now, Ron and... So, the bo- like the bodies were exhumed and moved, but uh, Ron and Connie left their grave markers there because they had paid for them. <laughs> They're going to get their money's <laughs> worth. Yeah. Oh, I hate them. Um, And this is really interesting. I found that uh, their home on Robert Drive has been sold twice since the murders, which I think is just kind of interesting. Their what? It really does... sold twice? Their house. Like, the house. I don't think it's haunted, but, like, there's going to be, there's like, be some, some kind of taboo through. in there, and it's not. It's, yeah, you're right, bad, like, vibes, bad air, bad, like. Bad everything. Bad everything, because that was, like, a very, very heinous thing that happened in oh that house. Oh, my God. It's horrific. Three lives were cut way too short mm-hmm. by a very selfish, idiotic man. That's the worst part. Like, this crime was so selfish. And, like, not that he would make it okay if it, like, worked out for him, God forbid. I take it but back. Like, he's not a man. He's he's a creature. Yeah. That's why we're calling it the Creatures Podcast, yeah. because he's a creature. Uh, roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> Don't roll credits. Don't roll credits. <laughs> because I want to give a sh- quick shout out to the Midwest Crime Files, which is a blog and podcast. And I got a lot of my information um, from that. They laid it out really well, so I was able to follow along with, like, the timeline and then the autopsy or, like, the court documents themselves. They did a really great job of putting the information together, and it was a great source to go to. Plus, the episode was really good, so I recommend it. Um, we talked about Morbid. They didn't do anything for me for this case because I haven't covered it, but Morbid, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> She's a fangirl. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was um, the really, really tough case of the Coleman family. It was indeed tough. Ugh, like, you've told me, like, when we were planning this, you've told me other cases. But, like, I don't know. This one... This one is rough in a different way. It really is. Because, like, so I researched a case, and we're going to make it into an episode, but it's the Junko Furuta case. Mm-hmm. That one was really, really rough. It was 
horrific. But it was rough in a different way. It was monstrous. Yeah, this was... Tragic and the acts of one man trying to... Not a man. One one creature. creature trying to basically dip out on all of his responsibilities. Yeah, it's like he used them as like a trial family, which is yeah. not how you do that. <laughs> and if this poor like it's make it's so this isn't her fault in any way. I'm not like I would never say that. It's but like so... if like the what ifs, there's so many what ifs that could have changed this. I know. Like if that it's... religious like like stipend, if that religious like taboo wasn't there of getting divorced Mm -hmm. he obviously he had other ways out but like i feel like his pride wouldn't let him yeah he had to have some kind of control in it yes which kind of goes in hand in hand with like the character that i was really getting from a lot of people was that he was just a very controlling person especially like we talked about like the the discipline yeah like he was very strict with his kids and i mean like i don't to each parenting style of your own yeah. But he seemed a little extreme with it. A little. A, quote unquote, a little. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really yeah. know how we're going to end the podcast yeah, not yet. Really sure. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. It was really well, fun. Like, as well, much as you can. And as yeah. much as you can enjoy Murder Case. This yeah. was not fun by any means, but it was fun and to it, actually record the first episode, which was really exciting. It was fun and educational. Educational. <laughs> So thank you for listening. Humans. Fellow humans.